Hello there. Welcome to my podcast, Princess and the Pea Survivor Edition, where we talk about healing from trauma, life's sometimes seemingly impossible tests, and how these ongoing tests impact our relationships with others, as well as the one we have with ourselves. Thanks for being here. My name is Faith Christine Bergevin. You can call me Faith. Which is worse, silence or exposure? Coming out as a survivor of rape was no small matter. It felt, and still feels, risky for me. After all, I'm a clinical counselor and trauma therapist. I feel a certain pressure to uphold a certain image as a professional. Still, there is a cost to having a secret so big, a cost that has impacted me negatively because I felt I couldn't be fully authentic in the world. While this podcast exposes my stories and the challenges of recovery, it remains my attempt to unite my worlds as a therapist, as a survivor, an educator, and a partner in healing. Listen to hear my story about what finally made me decide to come out as a survivor. Is this how the world wants survivors to be? Silent and still sexy? My story, The Unspoken Cost of a Secret. For a long time now, it has felt as if I should keep my traumatic experience a secret and move on with my life. After all, it's over, right? I have felt this pressure, externally, that no one wants me to talk about it. Internally, since the rape happened, I felt a pressure to process what happened to me, how I came to be in that situation, what choices I made, the choices the other person made. I've written extensively for myself to clarify what this event means. In my journals, in essays, I've even written a memoir. I have cried, I have despaired, I have searched for answers. I have walked and sometimes crawled through many dark days and nights thinking I could not go on. I have cleared so much out of my system privately that only recently have I felt ready to talk about it publicly. It has taken me a long time to break my silence. The social stigma. The time it's taken is in part due to the social stigma that exists around this topic. No one wants to touch it. Although kudos to Tarana Burke, founder of Me Too, which led to a movement, as well as the folks at RAIN, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, an excellent resource for survivors, as well as many others who work publicly and in clinical settings to support survivors and provide information on consent, sexual assault and rape, and reduce the shame and stigma for survivors. It's a stigma that exists even though hundreds of people every day are affected by sexual violence, belonging to a not-so-exclusive club no one wants to belong to. Quote, 
Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. End quote. For me, the stigma was so entrenched, I believed I was not allowed to share what happened to me during my trauma training program. I was struggling and few knew. The message I received from those around me was, I won't tell and you shouldn't either. After all, it was almost unseemly that I could be a victim of such a crime because I was supposed to know better. I was a graduate student in counseling psychology. I provided counseling to women in abusive relationships. I was smart and focused and responsible. I was in the process of learning all I could about the latest in trauma research and therapy practices. This could not happen to me. And I couldn't let anyone know it did, because what did that say about me? I had to maintain my image as the strong woman people saw me as. A woman who could handle anything. A woman untouched by trauma. After all, I'm a mental health professional. A classmate, when I told her about the rape shortly afterwards, said, But Faith, if this can happen to you, what does that mean for the rest of us? The cost of image. It has taken me a long time to release the pressure to maintain my pristine image and instead show up with greater authenticity in the world, both professionally and personally. It's important to me to integrate my worlds because so much of trauma is about breaking us apart. Even if it's uncomfortable, I want to own my story and accept all the parts of me, the strong, the informed, the hurt one, and the healer. Even Carl Jung discussed the archetype of the wounded healer and how it can inform our work. Jung believed that disease of the soul could be the best possible form of training for a healer. I recognize what I know because of my wounding, but it doesn't make me less afraid of others' judgment. Hence, the pressure to maintain an image instead of my reality. And this is what has brought me to challenge the image I assume is required of me in order to show up more transparently in the world. I'd be lying to say it's been easy because the shame that comes from being the victim of such a crime runs deep. With a social problem so rampant, how can we keep allowing the stigma to continue? How can I? And this is why I write, to challenge the stigma that comes from being a victim of rape and a certain type of person. Read, educated in mental health and helping others with their problems. In a field of helping others, there is an unspoken cultural pressure to not share when we are victims thus perpetuating a silence that does double damage. Damage from the trauma itself and damage from the imposed silence. A survivor's task. Being a survivor changes you. It complicates relationships. It makes it hard to trust. It makes it hard to speak up when faced with someone who may or may not reject you for your feelings, for your struggle. It makes me suspicious of the intentions of men. It makes me doubly angry when men cross my boundaries. These are no small matters, 
They are complicated issues that many aren't interested in learning more about, so survivors end up feeling misunderstood and forgotten, deemed the problem when we need more understanding. I can never go back in time and change what happened to me. It will always be there. I remain changed from this one event. In the past few years, I have learned how to be with the change, how to grow, how to heal, but I am changed. As one of my professors once said about experiencing trauma, and I paraphrase, once the egg is cracked, it is no longer an uncracked egg. But you could make things with a cracked egg. You can make an omelet, and that can be way more interesting. Maybe we can be more interesting with our own cracked natures and begin here with reclaiming ourselves even amidst the tests and triggers life hands us. Perhaps by accepting ourselves and owning our stories, we can ask ourselves to choose the path that will lead us to greater freedom. Will you join me? And so it ends. I have a few footnotes today. One is I referenced Tarana Burke, who's the founder of Me Too. Uh, if you go to my essay on my Substack publication, you'll find the link to her site. My second footnote is uh, referencing RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. They have many resources on their website um, with statistics and information. It's, it's very well thought out and well laid out. Uh, again, go to my Substack and you'll see the link there. Uh, when I quote that one in 68 seconds a person is sexually assaulted, that is a statistic from Rain, and that is my third footnote. When I reference how um, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone in my trauma training program, I have a footnote there because, and this is what the footnote says, it's, trust me, the irony is not lost on me. I mean, now that I look back on it, I think it's rather preposterous that I couldn't share this with anyone in my program. I mean, I did share it with a couple of classmates and uh, someone who was sort of outside of the program but connected. Um, I'm being cryptic because I'm trying to respect people's privacy. Um, but even that, it's like I, can't, I have to protect other people when no one was really protecting me as a vulnerable student who had gone through this really profound, terrible event. Um, and I had to stay silent, and I, I felt like I was on this treadmill to like finish my program so that I could just get on with it. I didn't want to fall off my treadmill. So part of it was me, you know, just trying to grit my teeth and get through it and pretend that it didn't affect me. And that's actually a really common trauma response in a rape victim. It's like shortly after it happens when you finally realize it did happen, you think, okay, well, that just happened. Okay, well, I'm going to be fine. I just need to keep going. And, and so you do, and you keep forcing yourself to. And then as time goes by, you realize, oh, there are deeper and deeper issues that this one event has caused. So not blaming people, to be clear, not blaming people in my, 
university or anything, but you know, it does seem rather ironic that you know, I'm in a trauma training program where we talk about supporting people who have experienced trauma and I didn't receive that support. And that's all I'm gonna say right now. And my final footnote, the fifth one, is uh, I reference the archetype of the wounded healer. So Jung is famous for coining that. Um, there was an interesting article that I linked to. It's the National Library of Medicine. I have the link on my Substack publication page for this essay. Um, it references uh, some archetypes, and they talk about the Greek myth of Chiron. I guess I'll read this. Why not? Um, the Greek myth of Chiron, the centaur from whose name Chirugi is derived in French and surgery is derived in English can help us to understand. The Greek gods Apollo and Artemis taught medicine to Chiron. Chiron was wounded by an arrow from Hercules' bow. He did not die because gods are immortal. Instead, he suffered excruciating pain for the rest of his eternal days. It was because of his grievous wound that Chiron became known as a legendary healer in ancient Greece. Chiron later took an orphan child Aesculapius into his care. The son of Apollo and a mortal, Coronis, Aesculapius had been spared a certain death when Apollo snatched him from his dead mother's breast just as she was about to burst into flames. The orphan was entrusted to Chiron who taught him everything he knew about the healing arts. It was thus that Aesculapius became one of the two founding fathers of Western medicine. And here uh, is where they reference Jung. So in 1951, Jung first used the term wounded healer. Jung believed that disease of the soul could be the best possible form of training for a healer. In a book published days before his death, Jung wrote that only a wounded physician could heal effectively. In so doing, Jung drew upon the myth of Chiron, making it one of the most fundamental archetypes of human history and modern medicine. Okay, do you have chills? I kind of do. I think that's kind of remarkable. I love, you know, mythology and, and the stories of the Greek gods. And just this term, I first heard it when I was in grad school, the concept of the wounded healer, of, of a therapist having deep wounds, right? And it's the wounds that we have as therapists that help us to have greater empathy for whoever sits in the chair, you know, in our, in our therapy offices. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's this, you know, strong belief that, you know, being a wounded healer actually makes us a, a better, more informed, more compassionate, more empathic healer. And yet there's, there's this whole societal image of, you know, this perfect therapist who's going to have all the answers, who's going to help you with all your problems. And, you know, we don't really think of our therapist as having problems. And so, you know, there's this dichotomy that exists in society of like, yeah, I can see how, you know, a wounded healer might have more empathy for my problems if they've been through stuff. And yet, I don't want to think about it too much, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to end it there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this audio reading of my essay and the commentary and notes. If you would like to learn more about my work, please visit my Substack publication, Princess in the Pea Survivor Edition. Consider becoming a, subs a subscriber since this is a reader-supported podcast. 
A subscription will give you access to the latest articles on mental health and healing and how to deal with life's tests, and they'll be delivered straight to your inbox. Your support means I can continue to research, write, and produce this work. Thank you for listening. Be well.